Lashaka Smart was ready to throw down, but his Marquette squad calmly secured a massive victory over Kansas on Tuesday. Could they win it all in Maui and end up being our top-ranked team next week? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, folks? Happy Wednesday, happy feast week, and welcome in to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by Prize Picks. Folks, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use that promo code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, joined again this week by our guy Leaf Tulin on the Locked On NBA Big Port and our regular guest here on Locked On College Basketball. Great, great day to have Leaf on here as we are continuing the feast week activities. Going to recap the biggest games in the Maui Invitational over the, the first couple of days, preview those championship games coming up tonight. Also going to talk about the battle for Atlantis, preview some of those big matchups we're recording here right as Carolina and Northern Iowa are getting tipped off. We'll get you updates on those games throughout, but got plenty of other fun games in that Atlantis tournament to get to as well. But Leaf, let's start with this Marquette, Kansas game, because there was some there was some animosity. There was some testiness there. Shaka Smart legit looked like he was going to throw down. Him and Bill Self had some words, but despite this kind of testy atmosphere, Marquette led for over 39 minutes in this game. I mean, a complete beatdown of a very good Kansas squad. Now, we could have a much larger conversation about the fact that nobody in this Maui Invitational can seem to make outside shots. There's definitely, it's not the friendly rims that we're used to at the Civic Center. That's uh, certainly an element of these games here. But I thought Marquette looked looked really good in this game. Oso Iguodaro, 21 points, nine board, really fantastic performance from him. I guess the main question to start out is, is did that game tell you more about Marquette and where they might be at this point in the season? Did it tell you more about Kansas or did you just feel like, hey, it was a high level game between two great teams and, and Marquette got the best of them in this one? Uh, I would say it told me more about Kansas because mm-hmm. I already had serious concerns about Kansas and every mm-hmm. one of our AP polls we did the preseason week one, week two, I've been the lowest on Kansas mm-hmm. uh, coming into the year. Well, before the AP poll was even announced, I had Kansas outside of my top five because I think they had a glaring deficiency in their wings. Mm-hmm. Kevin McCuller is playing out of his mind. Mm-hmm. And yet Kansas probably could have, maybe should have lost to Kentucky, whose mm-hmm. best two recruits went one of 18. Yeah. But back to this game, uh, McCuller was still good. He was the best player. Mm-hmm. Dickinson's only pedestrian with 13 and eight. And yeah. DeJuan Harris doesn't shoot five of five from three like he did against Kentucky. And they're blown out of the water by a good Marquette team. On the mm-hmm. flip side, I have Marquette in my top four. So yeah. th- this wasn't necessarily like a, oh, my goodness, both things are true. But I mm-hmm. think it shows elements of both things uh, being prevalent, where Marquette could be a Final Four team if they are able to play against big teams. Well, Hunter Dickinson fits against that mm-hmm. and K.J. Adams in the front court. So that alleviated some concerns there. Marquette played with pace to alleviate that concern. They looked really good. Kolek and Iguodaro manning the ship, Cam Jones, David Joplin really helping out. Uh, that said, I had concerns about Marquette the night before against UCLA. Yeah. Like most of that game, UCLA was better and UCLA has glaring concerns as they're incredibly young, but Mick Cronin mm-hmm. can really coach. As for Kansas, I'm, I'm fully out. Uh, last year, I said about, about this time, maybe a week or two later that I thought Purdue was a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm fully out on Kansas, like sweet 16 elite eight. That, that, that's yeah. it for them. 
Is it is it just be, is it the wing depth that's that's the big concern there for you with them? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this Tennessee matchup a little bit. I, I know you love Tennessee, so I have a feeling I know how you're going to feel about that matchup there. But with Kansas, is it? I mean, the depth definitely has looked like an issue. Nick Timberlake hasn't really been the guy that that I think some people might have hoped for for them. Uh, they they got youth with El Marco Jackson, Johnny Furphy. Is it just more of like I'm not sure that the guys are, are going to end up being there at the end of the year for them? You know what I think it is? I think Bill Self thought their score would be Arterio Morris. Yeah. I, I, I think he thought mm-hmm. Arterio Morris was going to provide that off the bounce and yeah. perimeter scoring. Well, he's not able to play, yeah. and for good reason. Mm-hmm. A- and that leaves Johnny Furphy, someone who could be good, mm-hmm. and El Marco Jackson, who some people have a, as a lottery guy. I'm a little lower on him. Yeah. Uh, to be 35 points per game scores or thereabouts replacing Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick. And that's where mm-hmm. my, just mathematically, that's where my concern comes in. And wings win championships. Like, mm-hmm. yes, Adama Sanogo and Donovan Clean were awesome, but mm-hmm. Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, all those guys were really pushing the ship. And I can go on and on for different ones. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see it with Kansas. They don't have any wings. And Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller aren't scorers by nature. They're forced to do something that's uncomfortable for them. And they're doing well doing it. But eventually that catches up to you. Let's talk Purdue, Tennessee here. So Purdue rode Zach Eady, 23 and 10. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer also had a fantastic game here, 27 points. Uh, really the big story of this Purdue-Tennessee game was uh, free throws after free throws after free throws. I think there was just under 80 total free throw attempts in this game. Uh, looking at the personnel on the team, knowing that neither of these teams were going to try to beat you with outside shooting just because of how the the nature of how this Maui Invitational has gone. I'm not surprised. There was a lot of fouls called in this game, but man, it really slowed that game down to an absolute crawl. Uh, Leaf, I know you've been a big Tennessee guy. Obviously, Purdue did get the victory here. I don't think uh, it, it looked like an evenly matched game, I guess is the best way to, to put it in this one. What were your kind of overall feelings coming out of this game? And and, and then we'll kind of look ahead to, to what will end up being a, a third, fourth matchup between Kansas and Tennessee. I was really impressed with Purdue's resolve, especially yeah. early where they fell behind early. They played their game, didn't deviate. And even though they had more turnovers than did Tennessee, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was a catastrophic difference. Like you may have assumed yeah. with all the pressure that Tennessee provides, obviously the overwhelming storyline is going to be rebounding. They won 39, 27 against a team in Tennessee. Who's very good rebounding the ball, but, and then obviously fouls. So, mm-hmm. Fouls is, is a common one for Purdue. Purdue, Zach Eady wears your team in. It, it's like Zach Eady versus an attrition of the front line. And Tennessee is one of the more well-equipped teams to face that type. And yet Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka both fouled out. Uh, my my takeaway from Tennessee, who I still am high on, is Santiago Vescovi has to shoot the ball. I, he's useless if he's going to just head fake every shot because – if you're going to go for a defensive lineup, he's not a better defender than some of their guards. He's not a better scorer than some of their guards. So if he's going to be a focal point of their offense and he head fakes every single shot, he shot three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he had eight points. He was eight to 10 from the free throw line. He shot three times. So you got to space the floor. That's the thing for Tennessee is I think their best lineup, and I've been tweeting about this, features both of Ganey and Connect, and they sacrifice some of their defense, which is Ken Palm number one. I think mm-hmm. they'd be better off being Ken Palm number 15 defensively and move themselves up offensively by playing an offensively focused lineup with Josiah Jordan James and Tobey Awako and or Jonas Adu to clean up that defensive mess. And so in my question is, where are they going to get that consistency from guards? Because at the end of the game, I think their guard play is what let them down more than their interior, even though both their big fouled out. 
Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this Kansas-Tennessee third-place matchup. This game's going to be at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN here on Wednesday. Uh, not exactly the matchup we thought we'd see in this third-place game, but of course we knew there's a ton of really, really good, talented teams in this tournament. How do you think this game's going to shake out? What do you think might be the big X factor uh, between these two teams? I think it'll be who shoots better from the perimeter. Yeah. Uh, that said, I think there'll be fewer turnovers committed by Kansas than than you'd see from Purdue, just because Dewan Harris is more of like a game manager, whereas Smith is more dynamic. And also for the last thing, shout out uh, Fletcher Lawyer was fantastic. That was yeah. the other. That was the other big yeah, take. Really good. Um, but but I think Tennessee wins this game because Dalton Connect is a scorer. Jordan Ganey can find a way to score. And I don't think after facing Zach Eady, Tennessee is going to be all that like, oh, my God, Hunter Dickinson. Like <laughs> yeah, it, true. And that's no slight to Hunter Dickinson. It's just mm-hmm. that's how good Zach Eady is, how yeah. much attention he commands. And Purdue, for all their shooting woes we talked about last year, shooting 30% from three on an unbelievable shot quality. Mm-hmm. Kansas has worse shooters than does Purdue. Yeah. And so I, I think you're going to see the matchup that you want to watch is Connect versus McCuller. Mm-hmm. And then can anyone supplement connect connect scoring because McCuller is going to make it hard on him. So I think Tennessee wins, but uh, I think it's a less advantageous matchup for Tennessee than some other possibilities between teams I think are fraudulent like Kansas. I think I'm going with Tennessee too in this game. I, I think you're right. I think they're going to be more equipped to handle Dickinson. And I just think uh, Kansas is, is lacking some of that perimeter scoring that uh, has been difficult in Maui overall. But if, if Connect can step up and score for the Vols, I think they, they got a good chance. Uh, let's let's move on to the championship. Marquette-Purdue, 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Again, it'll be after that Kansas-Tennessee game. Um, two questions. One, again, a kind of X factor. How do you think this matchup's going to shake out? There's some fun fun lineups on the wing I think that could be really interesting in this game. And then is the winner of this game and I feel like I know the answer, but is the winner of this game the number 1 team in the country next week? It feels like it's it's it would be hard to pick anybody else just based on the the quality of these matchups. I think there's an argument for Arizona, but yeah. I, I agree. I think it's probable that the winner of this game is number 1 and I think they'd be deserving of number mm-hmm. 1. I this sounds weird after watching Purdue do something that I thought was very uncomfortable for them and handle the pressure Tennessee provides. Mm-hmm. I think Marquette wins. Mm-hmm. I think Marquette has this speed, especially when they play Jones or yeah. both Joneses, Cam and Sean Jones. Uh, they are going to play unbelievably quickly. And I think that's one of the few ways to neutralize what Zach Eady does is even though you don't have the size to match up, like Tennessee is, is uniquely equipped with three or four centers that can battle with Edie. They may not win the battle, but they can at least battle. Oso Iguodaro is the only actual center on this team. Like you, you're going to see Ben Gold. As long as Iguodaro can stay out of foul trouble, like, and I mean serious foul trouble, mm-hmm. not just, oh, he's got two and 12 minutes of play. Like that, that happens. Uh, as long as he's not saddled with foul trouble, I think the perimeter scoring of Marquette and their just tenacity defensively and getting in passing lanes, deflections, everything, almost chaos like from, uh, from, uh, T- VCU mm-hmm. and I, I'm curious I'm curious to see how Braden Smith handles it yeah. namely I think there's a big game for Braden Smith because you're going to see a little bit of regression from Fletcher Lawyer and I think Lance Lance Jones for Purdue is the X factor to see what he can do to slow down Cam Jones for Marquette 
Yeah, I think the, the the battle between Lance Jones, Cam Jones is a, a fantastic one. Uh, I don't want to agree with you on everything, so I'm going to go with Purdue, but I think this game is going to come right down to the wire. Uh, Edie's been just an absolute load so far in this tournament, and if he can play 30-something minutes, draw some contact, you know, put Marquette's bigs in foul trouble, like you said, I think the Boilermakers take it. But these these look like two of the three or four best teams in the entire country, and I think it's going to show out in a, a really fantastic game uh, on Wednesday afternoon. But we want to kind of preview now the, the rest of the Maui Invitational. We'll talk about Gonzaga and UCLA. They've had a continuous battle the last four or five years, seeming to run into each other everywhere. And now we get them for this fifth, sixth place game. We're also going to talk a little bit about Colorado's loss to Florida State, what that means for them. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Fix. Folks, Price Fix offers weekly promotions that can lead you to really big payouts, like their Taco Tuesday deal. Folks, every Tuesday, Price Fix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with even more value. And with the Price Fix reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games or college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. This is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. Price Fix is the only DFS app that allows player injury insurance. Beyond that, this app is just really easy to use. All you have to do, pick two or more players, choose more or less with whatever given stat. For Wednesday's slate, they have Zach Eady at 20.5 points. I think Edie's going to score more than 21 points. I'd be probably hitting the over there on that one. If you join me and do that, you could find yourself getting paid. So go to pricefix.com slash college. Use that promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's pricefix.com slash college. Use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit match of up to $100. Pricefix, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, Leaf, continuing our conversation here, sticking with the Maui Invitational, we knew that Maui was going to get a whole bunch of airtime here on the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast because it is an incredible group of teams and games that we have seen. Uh, so we're going to talk about the fifth and sixth place matchup here. We're going to talk a little bit about Gonzaga, uh, who held their, home, held their own against Purdue in the first half. I thought uh, I kind of had some expectations of keys of what I thought Gonzaga needed to do to potentially upset Purdue, and they executed them really well. In the first half, had a lead. Things completely fell apart in the second half, as you kind of alluded to. Zach Eady just wears you down, and he did that to Gonzaga in the second half of that game. They came out with a victory. Gonzaga responded by securing a 20-point victory over Judah Mintz and Syracuse. I think the non-Judah Mintz players for Syracuse shot 14 of 50 in that game against the Zags. Uh, some, some fun performances from Gonzaga. Graham E.K. has looked fantastic early in the early going this season. Uh, we saw some turnover issues kind of plague them in the second half. They still got some, some depth issues. But I'm curious your thoughts on Gonzaga after these two games, after this close game against Purdue that ended up not and not being as close in the second half. And then, of course, the, the nice victory over a good but not great and not fully polished Syracuse squad. I'm actually impressed with Gonzaga. I, mm -hmm. I've been on record and off record mm -hmm. talking with you that I'm, I have tempered expectations uh, for Gonzaga this year. And, and by that, I mean compared to Gonzaga, not mm -hmm. someone I think, oh, they're terrible. Not at mm -hmm. all. Um, it's just that Gonzaga has had eight years of an un, unprecedented yeah. success. Like they've been phenomenal for eight years straight. I don't think they're as good as some of their previous teams, but they're better than I thought this team would be. Mm -hmm. Graham E.K., is healthier than I thought. I think that yeah, was a large great. concern of mine that I was concerned he would not be uh, himself, much mm -hmm. less probably better than the the Wyoming version of him because mm -hmm. he's playing pick and roll with Ryan Nemhard, who's probably the best or second best pick and roll guard in the country. Mm -hmm. And 
the the supplementary cast. Anton Watson, you knew what he was going to be. You knew he was going to be a, a hard worker, someone who helped the team, and his stats are not quite indicative of what he does on the court. Mm-hmm. But the real story is Huff for me. He, yeah. He's spacing the floor. He's rebounding. Ben Gregg and Huff are, are what I think as as well as they play is how far Gonzaga can go. Yeah. Um. And and I think the reason they were able to play well with Zach Eady and Purdue mm-hmm. uh, was because they had those guys that I don't think I foresaw. I'm I'm not mm-hmm. even sure you as someone who covers Gonzaga saw Huff being as good no, as he has been. Not not this impactful. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he he and Greg to me allowed Gonzaga to compete early, and I just mm-hmm. don't think they quite had enough against a mm-hmm. Purdue team. That new, that's a well-oiled machine. It's like play mm-hmm. through Edie, just do enough to get us through the game outside yeah. of Edie. And so Gonzaga to me is impressed, and as has UCLA, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious to see this matchup. Uh, Gonzaga is a four and a half point favorite. Mm-hmm. UCLA is going to play like Cronin. They're going to slow the game down. Yeah. So I think that takes away some of Gonzaga's weapons. But can Gonzaga take away the paint touches of Sebastian Mack? And then what does UCLA turn to? Yeah. So. I think it'll be a really close game, um, but I don't think it's going to be a shootout like you've seen some of these previous matchups between these two teams be. Yeah, I think that's the biggest key for me in this game is is that pace conversation. And Gonzaga has filled familiarity with having to try to speed up teams that want to slow the game down. I mean, they play St. Mary's two to three times a year, and St. Mary's plays at that same methodical you know, five one of the five slowest teams in the country year in and year out. And we've seen Gonzaga have success against UCLA by trying to push that tempo and push that pace. We've also seen Gonzaga struggle against UCLA while trying to do the same thing. So I think it'll be really interesting. Um, sticking with UCLA a little bit more, obviously, this is a team that, that played Marquette really, really close. Uh, Marquette needed some, some late-game heroics to even come out of the first round of the Maui Invitational. Now they might be the team that that takes takes home the whole whole dang trophy. Uh, UCLA is just they're just young. I mean, I think that's really the big story right here on this team is just a lot of youth. Uh, they haven't had Burke B until very recently. He had some eligibility uh, stuff that needed to get taken care of with the NCAA. Uh, Daymara hasn't really quite popped in a significant way just because that role he, he did play well uh, against Shamanad. And I think he's kind of a big X factor for them. But Adem Bona is great. Sebastian Mack is great. Dylan Andrews is solid. Like this is a team that that has some pieces that are kind of ready and then some pieces around the edge that that feel like they're just not quite fully polished yet. Uh, I think both Gonzaga and UCLA are teams that are going to be better in March than they are right now just because of the the youth and, and kind of lack of experience within the depth for both those rosters. But uh, what a great test that both these teams are going to get playing against each other. And I think four and a half points feels like a close spread. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer than that at the end of the day. Uh, we got one more game I want to talk about here, Leaf, before we move on to, to preview some, some tournament games in Atlantis. I want to talk about another Pac-12 result with Colorado. It's kind of one of the only games that we're talking about here that's not in that Maui-Atlantis field, uh, and that's the Colorado fell to Florida State. Interesting fact I learned here, Florida State has now 14 consecutive overtime victories. That's just a, a goofy fact. I don't know if there's anything they're specifically doing in overtime to, to allow them to keep winning games like that, but one of those kind of fun things that ends up happening for certain teams. And uh, Colorado was a really inconsistent team last year. That was the big story with them. They beat Tennessee, lose to Grambling State uh, all over the place in Pac-12 play. This year, they return most of their key pieces, get Cody Williams in. Cody Williams looked great in this game against Florida State. He had 17 points, a really big kind of breakout performance for a potential lottery pick there. Uh, but, But we saw some of that inconsistency kind of creep up for them again. And I'm curious, 
I finally put them in my top 25 last week. It was the first time I actually ranked them because I'm still apprehensive about some of those inconsistency issues we saw from them last year. I'm curious if if this game you thought was indicative of any future issues for Colorado or if it was maybe a, hey, Florida State's actually kind of good or, or just or, or maybe what this game, what you thought this game meant for, for the Buffs. I'm torn because Tristan Da Silva is, is who should be the best player on this Colorado team. Mm-hmm. His shot, which was a big time strength coming into this year, looks different and the results are not good. So that makes me a little worried, but I think he'll find a way out of it. And now my real concern about Colorado is KJ Simpson shot them out of this game. Yeah. And what I mean by that is he would get okay shots, not great, but okay ones, and would shoot it every single time or turn it over. And he was terrible. Now, if your point guard is terrible, you're not going to be going very far. That mm-hmm. said, Cody Williams kind of took some of those duties, so there's a chance you can erase some of those issues. But a large part of the reason I liked Colorado is they had a lot of guys you could score. So if you have an, a, a day like that, so maybe if Simpson's off, you go to Cody Williams. Mm-hmm. Well, that just didn't happen. Yeah. So that's where my concerns are. Cause I like their depth. I think Julian Hammond's a solid player. I think they've got Eddie Lampkin, who's an intelligent big, mm-hmm. he's not an amazing anchor, but he's intelligent and he swings the ball. He, he carves out space. Florida state to me, isn't good but they're closer to what Leonard Hamilton had taught of 12 men beat five guys every time. And that's probably why they win the overtime games is they're fresher. Yes. That's what I think it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, they, they shot better than they had in years past hitting threes. They're at long and athletic as they always are, but they're a little more refined than some of their previous teams. But I think it's somewhere in between. I I don't think Colorado's as good as I thought or hoped. Mm -hmm. And I, I barely have them in my top 25 as well. Yeah. Um, and Florida State's a little better than I thought, but that said, they got blasted by Florida. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a one-off game. Well, let's move on to the battle for Atlantis. We got North Carolina playing as we speak. We got plenty more fantastic games to preview in what should be, uh, like I've said before, any other year, battle for Atlantis would be in like the field we're all talking about, but Maui kind of kind of pushed everything else aside. But we got some really fun games to preview here in that battle for Atlantis. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs, folks. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best and most qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps find the right people for your team faster, and they do it for free. It's super easy to create a free job post. All you do after that is you, you add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. From there, simple tools like screening questions make it easy to find the candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering the quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Leaf, let's get in to this battle for Atlantis. As we record right now, North Carolina is actually down to Northern Iowa. It is 21-17 with about nine minutes in the first half to timestamp when we're recording here. Uh, I suspect Carolina is going to eventually find their way here, but they have uh, had some slow starts throughout the season already. But uh, moving on, I want to talk about some of the other games that we're going to end up seeing here. And I want to start with the next game on the docket here, and that's Texas Tech and Villanova. Of course, Villanova fell out of the top 25 AP ranking wise. Uh, we still had them in. I know, Leaf, you still had them ranked just barely. 
Um, going into a game against a, a tough Texas Tech team, not necessarily a great Texas Tech team under Coach Grant McCaslin, the former North Texas coach, but a team that that is never going to make it easy on you. And I think Villanova has proven that they uh, can 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 lose to teams. I mean, they lost to Penn, obviously, so this is certainly not a gimme game for Nova. But but what are you kind of looking for uh, for the Wildcats in this game? I want them to establish a hierarchy of who who to go through. Like Justin Moore probably is their best player. I think I'd argue Tyler Burton is their second best player. But in the games where they've been less than spectacular, you haven't been able to see who is who and how to play. And what I mean by how to play is how you play is is usually dictated around the scouting report of like this is what we want to establish. This is the play, the place we want to attack. And it looked like they're just kind of playing against some of the teams. They've just been better at athletes. And that's just not something you typically associate with Jay Wright's teams at Villanova. Like they may have had better athletes, but they play like a team. They play through different players. And you haven't seen it yet with Kyle Neptune in in year one and a half now, like or one and a quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I'm looking for. That's a Texas Tech's going through a lot of transition. They're a little better than I think many anticipated, but they're not Texas Tech of old. Yeah. Uh, they, they're going to slow you down to a halt with Grant McCaslin at North Texas. He was extremely slow tempoed for years. Mm-hmm. I think Nova wins, yeah. but I don't expect this to be a blowout or anything. I think it's a four point spread mm-hmm. and that uh, seems pretty appropriate, but no, Nova is the better team on paper and they're the older team. I think they should win. If not, I think that's an indictment on Kyle Neptune's coaching ability. Yeah, I'm with you 100. I, I think Villanova wins because they are a better basketball team, but I do not think they are. Necess- I, I don't think we're going to watch this game and feel a whole lot better about Villanova. I don't think Texas Tech makes teams look all that good against them. So I think Villanova wins. I think Justin Moore maybe takes over. Hopefully that is uh, an indication of what's going to happen going forward for this team. But uh, I think this is going to this is a game that's that's going to make a lot of Villanova fans very nervous throughout. Uh, I want to move on to the next game, Michigan Memphis. This is a really fun game. Really fun game between two like top 40 programs, two teams that didn't quite sneak in the top 25. I think Michigan would have had they not suffered that loss to Long Beach State. I think Memphis is, is right in that conversation. I think this is a tournament where one of these two teams, if they could potentially pull an upset, uh, you know, win against each other and then potentially beat Arkansas in that second round game could definitely climb into that top 25 conversation. You got Doug McDaniel, Javon Quinterly, some really high-level athletes uh, in this matchup here. Is there anything in particular you're looking for in this matchup? Any maybe X factor that stands out? Because this is probably one of the most intriguing, especially of non-top 25 teams. This is one of the most intriguing early season games that I can think of uh, for for this week. Yeah, I have no feel on this game because <laughs> I think each position you could make an argument like one player is better than another yeah. or like one team's got a better position group than the other mm-hmm. but it's so close yeah uh like doug mcdaniel and javon kennerly i prefer the way mcdaniel plays but mm-hmm. kennerly is a sixth year uh you've got walton and you've, you've got all these older guys on yeah. uh, memphis and then you yeah. got michigan's got an older team as well but they're a bunch of transfers and mm-hmm. same with memphis so i i think it really boils down to the front court and I'm going to, I'm going to say Olivia Kamal and Terrace Reed, mm-hmm. if they can control the glass, I, I would lean Michigan. That said, I think Memphis, the way they play pressure and the way Doug McDaniel breaks pressure, it really depends if he's able to keep the ball in his hands. Cause sometimes he gets, he's, he's so fast. Sometimes the ball like just runs out of his hand. Mm-hmm. If he can control the pace using his speed to turn their pressure into an issue. I like Michigan. But uh, there's a chance that he has turnover woes, and Memphis is a team that certainly makes it hard on you if you have turnover woes. 
Yeah, I think Connell is the, the the X factor. I think if he plays well, he plays like the, the version that, we, that we've seen from him early in his Michigan career, certainly that we saw from him late in his career last year uh, in the NCAA tournament as well. I think that's probably advantage for Michigan. But yeah, this I think this is going to be an absolute barn burner and a really, really fun, fun game to watch. And I want to move on to the final game here in that first round, Arkansas-Stanford. That game's coming up 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. It'll be on ESPNU. Uh, the game between Michigan and Memphis for the record will be before that at five Eastern time all here on Wednesday. Uh, Leaf, I know you're a Stanford football fan. I know you're uh, have some disillusionment a bit with Stanford basketball program, certainly Arkansas, a, a program that that suffered a, an early loss that we weren't expecting to see out of them, but a, a really talented roster. What are you kind of looking for in this matchup? we got a ton of great guard play at Arkansas, of course, have been a little bit less impressed with their front court, especially outside of Trevon Brazil. He's been very, very good so far this season. Uh, Stanford, a lot of young talent, obviously, on that roster, but still haven't quite seen them put the pieces together. You think the Cardinal uh, got a got a chance to make it pull an upset here against Arkansas? Or how do you think this one might shake out? Frankly, no. I, I don't think I <laughs> yeah. don't think Stanford's gonna handle the pressure that Arkansas yeah. puts. Um if I'm Eric Musselman, I'd just platoon my guards and mm-hmm. and press all day. Yeah. Uh Stanford has a sixth year point guard in Jared Bynum from mm-hmm. Providence, but if you watched him at Providence, you wouldn't really know he was the point guard. He was more of a scorer. Uh, I think he's doing a nice job handling point guard duties at Stanford, but then you look at the rest of the team, they're just not equipped to handle the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jones has been all right. Spencer Jones has been hobbled with an injury and he's Spencer Jones should have been Stanford's best player. The best player actually is Maxime Reno, the big, and this yeah. is a game where I feel like his size and skill is not going to overwhelm the athleticism mm-hmm. of Arkansas. And so now it boils down to can Stanford defend against the pace? I think they're more of like a set, scrappy half court defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expect Arkansas to win this one fairly handily. Yeah. That said, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> well, so let's say let's say you're not wrong. Unfortunately, let's say Arkansas advances. They'll play either Michigan and Memphis. I know both of us kind of struggled to pick an actual winner there. Uh, it, how do you think the whole tournament shakes out? I, I, like I said, we're still as we're as we're recording live right now. North Carolina is down one to Northern Iowa. It's about under eight in the first half. I still think they're going to pull it off. They'd end up playing Villanova, assuming Nova beats Tech. Arkansas advances over Michigan or, Mar- or Michigan or Memphis. Excuse me. How do you think this championship? Do you think it ends up being North Carolina, Arkansas? I think that's kind of the preseason projection. That's kind of who you would expect based on the AP rankings. Uh, do you see it being that in the championship? Do you think there's a possibility it's something else? And, and who who would be your your final prediction for who's taking home the trophy here? I, I think it comes out of the side of Michigan, Memphis, and Arkansas. I, yeah. I mean, I think that even that semifinal game is a toss up to me. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think their athleticism is easier to win early just Mm -hmm. by having more possessions and forcing turnovers getting downhill Mm -hmm. than maybe one of those teams that that is more reliant on egalitarian attacks and and, um, being smart in in their attack of of maybe it's Justin Moore today. Maybe we Mm -hmm. swing the ball around for 30 seconds, find Eric Dixon for a three. Uh, Or Carolina, they play through Baycott and they swing the ball. And if they have a bad shooting game from Cormac Ryan, I think they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the bottom side has a more successful recipe early in the season. Mm-hmm. That said, I, I'm not super high on any of those three teams yeah. um, just because I, I don't, I don't love that formula long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, Nova, I really thought would be very good this year. Mm-hmm. I, I need to see Kyle Neptune find yeah. a way to establish, Hey, this is our hierarchy of players. This is how we're going to play. 
because on paper they're the best team in my opinion. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Leaf, if if Nova loses to Texas Tech or, or certainly as the season goes on, I think there's some very real conversations we might be having about how much longer he holds on to to that job over there uh, at Villanova because, uh, yeah, really talented roster. Hasn't quite done a lot with it yet. Still early, but we'll have to see. Um, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I'm going to say Michigan wins the whole thing. Why not, right? Might as well make a prediction here. I think Michigan has a very good chance of losing to Memphis, but if they do not, I think they have a chance of beating Arkansas. I think they have the athletes to do that. I think they have a chance of beating North Carolina or Villanova, or you know, if Texas Tech comes out over at the top as well, I, I think Michigan has the pieces to potentially do it. Uh, if they do, I think they end up being back in the top 25. I think Long Beach State has picked themselves up a really quality win because I do think there's a chance Michigan turns this thing around, but this is going to be a really, really fun tournament between a lot of pretty evenly matched quality programs uh, down in the Bahamas. Leaf, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We always appreciate your insight, your expertise. we got some more fantastic college basketball games coming up this week, Thanksgiving and Friday. We'll be back with an episode on Thanksgiving. My co-host Isaac Shade will host it, and then Isaac and I will be back with you all on Friday afternoon, kind of recapping in the rest of the week and getting you all ready for a fun weekend of games as well. Thank you so much for listening. Apologies to the lawyer family who didn't need a lot of apologies after Fletcher had that great 27-point game. Go Wildcats, and until tomorrow, peace.